Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Boy, this is cozy. You hear that rain? Mm-hmm. Sounds like a tin roof, right? Almost, not so much. I love it. Well, I'm, we might have to keep me a little bit louder than usual this morning just to, to get my voice over uh, the thunder and the rain, but just think of it as God bowling when you hear the thunder, all right? All right. Well, we began a sermon series last week, and we're going to continue that sermon series this week. So take a moment, open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Let me hear those Bible pages flip back and forth. There's nothing more peaceful than that sound, right? Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to spend the majority of our day there, a little bit into chapter 2. We began last week by saying, welcome to the new you. So let me say it again, welcome to the new you. Jesus Christ has risen. He has ascended. You've put your faith and trust in him, and now he has sent you into the world. You were once in darkness, but now you are light. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. You were once in darkness. I want you to get this. I want you to, don't let this be lost on on you. You were once darkness, but now you are light. Did you know that about yourself? Did you know that you are light now? Walk as children of the light, therefore. The next few weeks uh, will be an identity-setting study. The book of Ephesians is nothing short of identity-setting, and it will call and instruct us to be who we are destined to be. So who in here wants to step into their destiny? Amen? Anybody? I'm getting a little bit of feedback if we could work on that. There we go. Um, So, identity setting, stepping into our destiny. What's the key to that? What did we say last week? Does anybody remember? The key to that is learning to see ourselves as he sees us, okay? Not as we, through our own dirty filters, view ourselves, but how the Word of God says that he, God the Father, sees us, all right? That is the key to your destiny. So let's begin. Uh, I want to begin by showing you the outline that we had uh, last week, our first graphic for this morning. And chapters one through three, we're going to cover a lot of doctrine. That is who you are, okay? Our position now, what we are in Christ as a result of what he did for us. Chapters four through six will be about our duty. Now that we are changed, now that we are this new creation, we have some responsibilities. Responsibilities not to be confused with an action that saves us. No, his action saved us. Our faith in his action saved us. But now that we're saved, he leads us into good works. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But that's going to be covered in chapters four through six, our responsibilities, what we should do in in response. Paul balances in these last chapters of Ephesians doctrine with duty. In other words, we inherit wealth by faith, and then we invest the wealth by works. It's not the works, though, that save us, so let's not get confused on that. Just last week, we went through uh, chapter 1. Can I see that next graphic? 
a little bit of a recap. We're going to do a little bit of recapping this morning because we went through such, such foundational content last week that we didn't get to spend a lot of, as much time on the back end of the scriptures as I would have liked to. So we're going to do some recapping. We're going to go back over and go a little bit deeper into some of the scripture that we ended with last week before we move into new scripture this morning. But covering chapter 1, we talked about the blessings, our riches in Christ. We talked about election, predestination, how God exists outside of time and how it's impossible for us to understand truly how this book comes to us from another dimension if we don't understand that God exists beyond the four dimensions that we experience currently. See, we are trapped in time. We look forward, we look backwards. God sees the end of the parade and the beginning of the parade all from a, a third-party perspective. So he sees the end from the beginning. So he gives, he's able to give free will, yet at the same time know what you'll choose and therefore choose you as a result. A little bit hard to get your mind around, and I would say impossible to get your mind around if you don't understand that he exists beyond the dimensions that we understand or that we experience, I should say. You got that, right? You get that? All right. So predestination, redemption, we talked about adoption to sonship, the fact that we are now fully legally adopted heirs in the kingdom of God, the will of God, the mysteries of God, different dispensations throughout time and God's plan for humanity. Paul talked about forgiveness. He talked about our inheritance. And when he talked about inheritance, that, that in the Greek really means, yes, an inheritance. Now we gain salvation, but one day when we're transfigured, we will gain an inheritance in heaven as well. Amen? Inheritance now not to be confused with salvation, okay? Salvation, the, the, the word tells us that some will be saved as one being saved from a fire. You're saved, but you're bankrupt when you get there. But hey, at least you're saved, right? Paul speaks of an actual inheritance that, even, that is even more beyond just our salvation. And the sealing, we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. The sealing of our hearts that when we believed, our hearts were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. But I'm going to touch on that again here in a moment, so I don't want to get it in too far. But all of this is just in chapter 1. All of this just in chapter so How can we possibly... I can't possibly cover chapter one, which might, may be my favorite, one of my favorite books. It is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible because, I mean, it's identity setting, church. This is the new you. This is the new you from dark to light. So recapping some scripture that we covered last week, but I want to go in a little bit deeper. Let's uh, look at uh, verses 11 through 14 this morning, shall we? <clears throat> And might I ask a precious soul to get me a cup of coffee or water? Thank you, Scott. Scott's on it. Appreciate it. Let's read verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. There is that word. In other words, our riches in Christ. Remember, Ephesus, as we mentioned last week, was considered the bank of Asia. So it was a depository for wealth was the city. So notice Paul is using these financial words. Obtained an inheritance, being predestined. In other words, given a destiny in advance according to the purpose of him who brings, of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we, 
who first trusted, hear that, what'd you do? You trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. I always love to say, what is faith? Faith is truly trusting God, okay? Faith is, uh, thank you, Scott, I appreciate it. We are saved by faith, perfect. We're saved by faith, we're saved by our trusting that the cross was enough, that the tomb was really empty, that your debt is really paid, therefore your eternity is secure in him. We trust that, right? That that's for me, and that's for me, and I put my trust in you, Jesus, that you did that for me, right? That we, the Bible tells us that the, even uh, the demons believe in God, but they don't put their trust in him for salvation, certainly, right? They rebel against God. But we put our hope and our trust in him. I always love the analogy of a chair. I believe that chair will hold me, but I'm not really putting my faith in it until I try to sit in it, right? That's when I'm trusting it'll hold me, really. That's what we do with God with our eternity, okay? So that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also trusted. Now, other translations there say believed, uh, many translations say believed, but we just covered that. Trust. This is why I love the, the translation trusted best there. When you trusted, after you heard or upon hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Somebody say amen. 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 Was it after you uh, trusted but then did a bunch of good deeds? Mm -mm. It was when you, what about, was it after you believed, but I need, you know, I want gifts of the Holy Spirit, so I pray and I pray and I pray. Was it after you believed and prayed enough to get the Holy Spirit that you got the Holy Spirit? Thank you so much. Was it then that you prayed and prayed and prayed to get the Holy Spirit? No, it was when you trusted, when you believed the Holy Spirit was given. It sealed your heart in that moment, in that moment. Now, the Holy Spirit continues to grow us and continues to give us different gifts and different strengthenings at different times, sure, but it's in that moment, church. I make that a point of emphasis because there's so much bad doctrine and bad believing and bad teaching out there that says, okay, well, now you believe you're saved, but if you want the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to really pray for it, right? You're really going to have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit now after, no, no, no. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens right here when you believed your heart is sealed, the church. Come on. Amen. 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 Mm. Verse 14, who is the guarantor? He is the guarantor. That word in the Greek is the arabon. He is the down payment. This was a word that the Phoenicians used when they would trade also of bridegrooms, of the bridegroom's betrothal gifts to the bride. The guarantee, the bride, the the. The bridegroom's betrothal gifts to the bride were a guarantee that she would be his bride. The guarantee of our inheritance until when? The redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, let me see this. I want to show you uh, a little bit more depth into the word sealed here. What does sealed mean? Well, Throughout Scripture, we see that when something is sealed, a promise sealed, whatever it is, you can look in Jeremiah, you can look in John chapter 17, Jesus' intimate prayer. It is a completed transaction. 
The guarantee has been put down. You are sealed. The transaction is complete. Now we simply await for our glorification. Jesus said to Telestai as he hung on the cross, he said, paid in full. References in Colossians 2 and John 19. Sealed is our guarantee. It is a guarantee or preservation, a guarantee that you will be preserved, church. You are branded, therefore, in biblical, truly in biblical speech. You have been branded as his. You are his. You're sealed now. There is nothing, I just, you've got to get this deep down inside of you. Because there's so much bad teaching that wants you to think that, that you will accidentally lose your salvation somehow. Or that somehow you are, because you have fallen, you have stumbled, because your behavior is not worthy, that now he's kicked you out of the family because you're not worthy. No, the transaction is complete. You are adopted fully, legally, and your heart is sealed. Mm. You know, uh, a lot of you know us personally. You know that I'm my oldest son, I've raised him since he was a baby, Asher, when he was 12, uh, we got to ado- I got to adopt him fully and legally. And it was amazing. And we went before the judge, and we got the paperwork, and he sealed the paperwork. He fully legally became my heir, you see. And guess what else? Something else that's cool about this, and it was cool in the Roman culture, legally, in the Roman culture, that heir actually had more legal standing because... He has a document saying that he is an heir to my stuff. Whereas my other kids just have a birth certificate. So this is some serious stuff here. No matter how my children may displease me or disappoint me with behavior or life choices or whatnot, their last name will always be Randall and they will always be my children. There is no process, by the way, legally to unadopt somebody. How about that? That's you. Did you know this about yourself? You got to get it deep down in here. Nothing can, Satan wants to shake you. You know that? He wants to break all hell loose in your life so he can shake you. Because if you don't see you like he sees you, you won't live like he knows you can live and step into that destiny, step into that joy, step into that purpose. When you trusted, when you believed you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, tell me now what marked you? Shout it out. What marked you? The Holy Spirit, right? When did you receive it? When you believed, what does it do for you? It guarantees your inheritance. Yes, come on now, come on. Let's, can we just clap? Let's give Jesus a round of applause. For real, church, for real. Mm. Did you know this about yourself? You know, as a side note, I think this just speaks to the point that, guess what, there is nothing now that you can... Because there is nothing that you can do to receive the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that you can do to lose it. It's by faith. And outside of renouncing Christ, there's nothing. Just believe, just trust. 
So let's move into some of the scripture that we didn't get to spend as much time in last week, okay? Let's look at uh, verse 15 through 23. That's some good coffee, Scott. Thank you. Nailed it. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, this is interesting right here. After I heard of your faith, not just your faith, though, I heard of your love for all the saints as well. So they were no, the Ephesians here are known for their love. This could be a teaching moment. Are we known for our love? Let that be a self-application point. In your realm of influence, in your church family, are you known for your love for your brothers and sisters? It's interesting also that he mentions them being known for their love because later on, uh, another apostle, John, in Revelation chapter 2, talks about the church of Ephesians, doesn't he? What does he say about them at that future point? He says, you have lost your first love. So a church that was known for their love lost their first love. Anyway, are you known for your love? Verse 16, do not cease to give thanks. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So here's another example of Paul. He is frequently praying for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we known for our love? And how often do we truly pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ? We need to make that a priority, church. We need to be lifting each other up. You know, uh, we so often we, we go to the Lord with prayer requests. We, I think we're pretty good at giving thanks, right? Especially off the heels of a victory that the Lord has delivered to us, right? We give thanks. We're definitely very good at asking for things for ourselves, but how good are we at asking for things for our brothers and sisters? Let that be a challenge to us because Paul did it all the times. He said he didn't cease to give thanks and to make mention of you in my prayers. All great men in the Bible were men of prayer. Gentlemen, ladies, all great men in the Bible were men of prayers. James's nickname was, by the way, according to early church fathers' uh, documents, um, and there's an early church father who specifically, I can't remember his name. It starts with an H and I would never pronounce it properly, but I probably shouldn't go off script if that, that's the case, but he referred to him as old camel knees. First century, first century church father, like immediate, like disciple of the disciples would refer to James as, refer to James as old camel knees. Oh, church, we need to be people of prayer, known for our love, praying for each other, praying prayers of gratitude, praying specifically too. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's a big prayer. Whoa. Will you guys pray that for me, that I'll get the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him? I want that. Amen? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of this. Can I see this next graphic? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom, is the spirit of wisdom, gives us wisdom, gives us discernment. That's why when your heart is sealed, the things that you used to revel in, now you don't revel in, right? The desires of your hearts are changed. That's the Holy Spirit bringing you wisdom. He also is the spirit of revelation. 
We see Paul reference that in 1 Corinthians 2. Revelation deals with the imparting of knowledge. You want revelation? That's simply the imparting of knowledge, wisdom, with the proper use of it in our lives as well. So let's pray for that, church. Amen? Verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. This word here, understanding, uh, in the Greek has deeper meaning. It really means the, the eyes of your heart. So a deeper understanding would be the best way to say it. The eyes, of your, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. In other words, the eyes of your heart being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What were we just singing a minute ago? My living hope, right? That's it. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. That's one. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That's two. He wants you to know this. This is Paul's prayer. Being enlightened that you may know. This is what does it mean to be enlightened? To open your mind, right? All the Gnostics today, ever since the beginning, they claim to be the enlightened ones, right? They know something that you don't, right? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm afraid it's the other way around. You being enlightened, know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his... In other words, you get it. You have the perspective that we talked about. You understand who and what God is. The mystery has been revealed to you. The mysterion, right? The, the mystery being revealed that when Paul talks about the mystery of the Gentiles, the mystery of the gospel, right? He's talking about the, 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 the thing that was once a secret has now been revealed to you. What are the riches of his inheritance? What is God's will, purpose, and plan for this world and your life and your place in it? You're an ambassador of, of Christ, you're his children, his sealed, fully legally adopted heirs. Open the eyes of your heart that the eyes of your heart might be opened, he says. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 10, uh, jumping out of Ephesians briefly, reads that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, where in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Amen. That's how you get it done if you're wondering if your salvation is secure. Mm. Believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead and thou shalt be saved. For with the heart a man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There is so much here. There is so much here. Church, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Don't, did you notice that as we were reading uh, verse 18? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? We're always talking about our inheritance. That, Paul's not talking about our inheritance here suddenly. One little word inserted, and now he's talking about his inheritance. What is his inheritance? Can I see this graphic? His inheritance Did you know this about yourself? Did you know that you are Jesus's inheritance? Did you know that he had an inheritance as well? 
In John chapter 17, Jesus is saying an intimate prayer, most intimate prayer, and I don't have time to go through all of those scriptures, but in that in that passage, seven different times in his most intimate prayer, he repeats the references to those whom thou hast given me. Speaking of you, God the Father gave Jesus you. We are his body, Ephesians chapter 1, his building, Ephesians chapter 2, and his bride, Ephesians chapter 5. We are his the Father has given us to him. We, not only do you have an inheritance in Christ, but he, he has an inheritance in you. We are joint heirs with Christ, Romans chapter 8. That's what this means. He cannot claim his inheritance apart from us. Did you know this about yourself? Do you live your life with this perspective and this understanding? Do you feel loved yet? Do you feel called chosen yet? Do you live your life with that knowledge and understanding and self-worth? Self-worth. You are worth it all to him. Church. Let's keep reading. Verse 19. I think this was worth going back over, don't you? Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power? This is pretty cool. I think you're going to like this. This word power here, in the Greek, it's the word dunamos, dunamios, dunamios. What is the, and what is the exceeding greatness of his dunamios? This is where we get our word for dynamite. The greatness of his dynamite power. Pretty neat, huh? Towards us. So the greatness of his dynamite power towards us who believe according to the working, and that word working there is energerion, energerion, where we get our word energize, okay? Are we waking up a little bit? Energize of his mighty power. So let me read that again to you, okay? And what is the exceeding greatness of his dynamite power towards us who believe according to the energizing workings of his mighty power? How great, church. How great is that dynamite energizing strength that he has for you? He's got it for you. It's explosive, church. Let me tell you this. You know how explosive it is? It is foundation-rocking, foundation-breaking, set-concrete-exploding is what it is. I heard an analogy years ago by one of our pastors that children, Amber, you might be able to tell me, is it the age of three, the age of three, that a child's foundation, really, psychologists say their foundation is set like concrete, we're talking about self-worth being valued. If parents are absent or abusive verbally or talk down to the child, it's foundation setting in their psyche. But this dynamite power towards those who believes is enough to explode any foundation. And I'm hoping to explode some foundations here this morning. If you don't know who you are in Christ... This is who you are in Christ in the church now. 
You are his. You are his inheritance. You are his beloved. You are worth to him the price he paid. And what was the price he paid? Mm. Don't let Satan lie to you and tell you that you're not worthy. Do you hear me? I know somebody in here needs to hear this right now. Don't let him tell you that you have disqualified yourself. Don't let him tell you that he can't use you. There is a purpose and a plan and a destiny for you in your life. And he's calling you to it. This is a foundation, rocking, breaking, perspective, perception, changing power, church. How we see ourselves, see the world and our place in it. That's what this is all about right here. We've got to get this right. This is the foundation that we stand on as believers. When we say, I am who you say I am. Amen? So we see in this past scripture, let me see this next graphic. We saw, we see three petitions of his power that Paul is making. One, the hope of his calling. Two, the inheritance in the saints. We are looked upon as his inheritance, a treasure of incomparable worth, according to Matthew chapter 13, a heritage, according to Matthew 13, a people for God's own possession, Titus chapter 2 and 1 Peter chapter 2, and lastly, exceeding greatness of his power. What is the exceeding greatness of his power, church? How great is his power? Well, I can tell you how great it is for starters. He made the earth. He made the sun. He made Saturn right? My favorite planet. Pretty cool. He made it all. That's pretty powerful. And this is the exceeding greatness of his power, creation itself. How great is his power? He raised Jesus from the dead. Resurrection, ascension, the triumph over darkness itself, church. From darkness to light. Woo! Come on now. That'll preach, won't it? Hallelujah. Yeah. Verse 20. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places at the right hand of God. This is significant. This is significant because at the right hand, do we have this graphic? At the right hand, this is a place of distinction, according to Hebrews, a place of privilege, a place of power, according to Matthew 26, a place of delight, he delights in you, and a place of dominion. And guess what? You are seated with him at that place. You're seated with him. There must be a spot in heaven, by the way, we know this, where, he, where his glorified body exists because Stephen saw him. From there is where he came to meet Saul on the road to Damascus. Uh, his promise to his people also that where I am, there you will be also. Amen? There's a place. And he is seated at the, he is seated at the right hand, the place of power, privilege, and delight. And you are seated with him. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Wow. 
These are all ranks of angels, by the way, titles of spiritual powers. You know, they were lifted up by Gnostics, opposed by apostle, the apostles, even in the first century, the first church. Paul will deal with these things again, though, in chapter 6, so I don't want to jump off on this. Verse 22 reads, And he put all things under his feet, all things, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is quoted from uh, Paul's quoting Psalms. Paul will often quote, in Peter too, will often quote uh, the Psalms. Psalm 8, verse 6, it's explicitly linked to Christ in Hebrews chapter 2 as well, and to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which I'm going to share a brief passage of briefly, because according to Paul, I might love Ephesians chapter 1, but according to Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 might be the most important chapter in the Bible, according to him. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26 through 28. Remember, with the body of Christ the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's read verse 26. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Oh, hallelujah, amen? Let it be soon. Let it be so and let it be soon, yeah? The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things where? Under his feet. What did Paul just say to the Ephesians? Under his feet. All things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. The last enemy that will be destroyed, church, is death itself. So with that, praise God, amen? Amen. I want to look at an outline, a recap outline of Ephesians chapter 1 before we move into chapter 2, okay? We're doing great on time today, so... I don't know how it is we're doing great on time. I really feel like I've been preaching a lot. (laughs) Let's look at this outline. Ephesians chapter 1, recap. Blessings from the Father, verses 1 through 6. He's chosen us. He's adopted us. He's accepted us. Did you know that about yourself? Yeah? Blessings from the Son. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. He has revealed God's will to us and given us that godly perspective, kingdom perspective, right? He has made us an inheritance, given us an inheritance, but also made us his inheritance. Blessings from the Spirit. He has sealed us. He has given us earnest money, right? He has given us a down payment and prayers for understanding that were made on your behalf. Verses 15 through 23, that God may give you spiritual understanding that you might know the hope of his calling, that you might know the riches of inheritance. This is what Paul wanted for the church in Ephesus. This is what the Holy Spirit's heart for you, that you might know his dynamite foundation, exploding power, amen? 
dirty filter cleaning power, right? A lot of us go through lives with our lives with dirty filters. We heard a bad teacher spin some bad doctrine into us, maybe even when we were kids or teenagers or even young adults. At some point, we've got a legalist doctrine in the back of our minds thinking, telling ourselves the way of the flesh. The way of the flesh says what? Do this, uh, work your job, earn a paycheck, right? But the way, uh, the way of God is get the paycheck without doing the work, Right? That doesn't make any sense to us. If I work for two weeks, at the end of the two weeks, I expect a paycheck, right? We have problems if I, if I don't get one, right? That's the way of the flesh. But the way of the Father of Jesus is it's a gift. Now, out of gratitude, you do work. Now, out of the leading of the Holy Spirit and your new eyes, your new heart, you do the work, right? Mm. So we see things in this new way. Ephesians chapter 2. Let me give you this brief outline. We're not going to get far this morning in it. I can tell you that much, but maybe we can spend 10 minutes here. We have that next graphic. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. We are raised and seated on the throne. Where is that? At the right hand of God, as we mentioned briefly, right? We talk about what we were briefly and what God did in verses 4 through 9 ultimately resulting in what we are now in verse 10. We are reconciled then and set into the temple in verses 11 through 22. What the Gentiles were, then what God did, and then what the Gentiles and Jews together are now will be covered. All of these will preamble the astonishing disclosures that we'll find in chapter 3. But moving forward into chapter 2 now... Chapter 1 emphasized our possessions, our possessions in Christ, right? Chapter 2 is going to emphasize our position in Christ. Possessions to position in Christ. Your position determines your possessions and authority, by the way. What possessions are you going to have? Well, it depends on your position and authority that you have in Christ. Incidentally, while Paul is writing this letter all about possessions and position and authority, he's in jail. Talk about perspective, huh? Mm-hmm. The power that raised Christ from the grave and crowned him with glory and honor, church, is the same power that now works in our own lives. It's the same Yesterday, today, and forever. Raising us from spiritual death as well and seating us in Christ in the heavenlies. So we open this chapter with spiritual corpses in Death Valley. Man's problem is that he is out of harmony with his environment. You all have heard of the Green New Deal, right? We've got to get back in step with our environment, right? So we need to tax rich people and give that money to socialist oligarchs, right? So in order to get in track, no? Not, not, no communists here? Okay, all right. <laughs> 
Truly, though, man is out of alignment with his environment because we are alienated from the life of God. Alienated from him, apart from Christ. Mankind is out of alignment with his environment because he is alienated from God in this state of broken, covenant, fallen man. Verse 1. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. That sounds out of alignment to me, right? A continuation of chapter 1 here referencing the resurrection power, right? Dead, he says. What is dead? Well, lifeless due to trespasses and sins. Trespasses, what are trespasses? Violation of the known law of God. Sins are what? Falling short of God's perfection, missing the mark. Death equals separation from God. Can we see this graphic? Physical death, as we study the letters of Paul, physical death is talked about is the separation of the soul from the body. James references that as well in chapter 2 of James's letter. Spiritual death, though, is alienated from the life of God, and this results in eternal separation, the second death that is referenced in Revelation 2 and Revelation 20. We've got to understand and get it into our minds, church, believers, that an unbeliever is not sick. He's dead, That might light a fire under us to be sharing the good news of the gospel and the truth of Jesus Christ, that there's a new, better way, that here's what he has for you, what he's done for you, how he loves you, because church, they're not sick. It's not just that they're going to be okay, but, you know, they could have a better life if they had Jesus in it. No, they're dead. A corpse uh, the, the, the unbeliever's not sick, he's dead, he doesn't need resuscitation, he needs a resurrection. Amen? I love this old saying, a corpse does not hear the conversation going on in the fu- funeral parlor, right? You ever wonder why it's uh, hard to argue uh, with people of a certain mindset, Right? They don't understand what you're talking about. You're speaking truth, and they don't even hear it because it doesn't resonate with them. Oh, let's keep reading. Verse 2. Verse 2. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, I think this is interesting to me because when I read this, I think, so Satan here, Paul is referring to him as the prince of the power of the air. So we know that he has a dominion over the air spaces on this planet, right? Is it, it's interesting to me, I think airwaves, right? Does Satan not have full control of the media today? Does he not have full control of the entertainment industry today? He is indeed the garbage that's coming into our television sets through uh, fake news and propaganda and lies and uh, the content that uh, keeps getting shoved in front of our kids when you're least expecting it on a TV commercial. You're watching a show that should be a good kid-friendly show, and the next thing you know, the commercial's got some crap in it, right? According to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. This is the sons of disobedience. They're not sick. They're dead. And they're busy today, aren't they? They're busy today. The media demonstrates who is actually behind it all, though, to me, by the narratives that they spin and embrace and the issues that they press and they push. Holy Spirit discernment, church, Hear me on this. Holy Spirit discernment is a must today. It's a must. It is a must today. And it's easy to spot those that don't have it too, isn't it? It really is. Sometimes it surprises you. You're like, oh, gosh. I didn't, okay. I have, you're surprised by people that just don't have knowledge and wisdom and everything we're talking about that the Holy Spirit gives and... And we understand quickly why sometimes, don't we, with people? Spotting those who are depraved, meandering according to the weather vane of this world, right? Down the path of deceit, down the path of immorality, godlessness, selfishness, violence, rebellion. Some are even diabolical. Anybody encountered any diabolical people in your life? (laughs) I mean, for real. The prince of the power of the air at work within them. And, of course, the disobedient all around us walking according to the spirit that now worketh in the sons of disobedience. So, church, energized by Satan, we're in this world surrounded by those that defy, dishonor, and disobey the Lord. Now, I was actually talking with Amber about this this morning. The Luciferian cult that is infected all of our media and all of our entertainment industry They're very busy. They're very busy today. The cults are as busy today as they have ever been. You know, the uniform may have changed. If you look throughout history, you see this this dark spirit uh, uh, in generation after generation. They have different... They dressed up like Nazis once, didn't they? So the uniform changes, but the same virtue-signaling, self-righteous spirit is self-evident. And guess what, though? It will meet the same results. Doomed. John chapter 3, verse 18. Guess who, guess who has the final victory? The Lord. Just visit Revelation chapter 16, verse 17. If you have any questions about that, the seventh bowl of wrath covers that pretty well. So, man, mankind is dangerous today. Have you noticed that? They're swinging wildly right now. I think it's because they know time is short. I think that spirit that lives within the sons of disobedience recognizes that the hour is late. One more verse. One more verse. At work in the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also, there we go, verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were made by nature children of wrath, just as others. Yes, you were carnal. You were crude in conversations at times, weren't you? In lusts and desires of the heart and lusts and self-centeredness, right? You lusted. Any desire that was against the nature of God, you had it within you, corrupt, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of your mind, abandoned to every natural desire of, of thought and or action as well. 
That's, that's the state that we find ourselves in apart from Christ. F.B. Meyer said, through the marvelous gift of imagination, we throw the reins on the neck of the steeds of passion. We were condemned as children of wrath, appointed unto death and to judgment. We, we, we can't forget that. As much as we need to know who we are now, we can't forget that because then we lose the awesomeness of what he's done for us. Hmm. The flesh that Paul refers to is simply the fallen nature. I love this uh, quote. I love this quote. Can we see this? Of the fallen nature. One is not a horse thief because one steals a horse. One steals a horse because one is a horse thief. This is fallen man. This was you. This was you. But then you know what? Can I see verse 4? Let's see verse 4. Then what happened? Let's go to verse 4. But God. Amen? But God, the most significant, eloquent, and inspiring transitions in all of literature. Come on now. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead, not sick, but dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Somebody say amen. But God. Amen. Hallelujah. Who's the author of this, uh, this passage, by the way? God. No one else could have done it. No one else would have done it. Mm. The source of this, his love. It is greater to be loved by the mighty sovereign of the universe by than any fellow human being, church. You are loved. You are loved. The great love, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love. How great? How great? Well, examine the price he paid, shall we? Examine the price he paid. In business, we say something is only worth what somebody is willing to pay, right? Like, how did the, mark, how, the housing market go so crazy? Well, there's a lot of people moving in, and they're paying cash. Something is worth whatever somebody's willing to pay, right? Good old age-old motto in business. How great is his love? was he willing to pay? It was at Calvary that God displayed his hatred for sin and his love for us while we were yet sinners, Paul tells us. Romans tells us that again in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It's mentioned in John chapter 3, verse 16 as well, right? But God, here you are. Here you are in your state struggling with man's three enemies in life, which are the world, the devil, and the flesh. There you were in your struggle. But God, who is rich in his mercy, because of his great love, 
with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Did you know this about yourself? I hope you did. We'll end here today. We'll invite Letha. Thank you, brother. Oh, church, I want you to know this about yourself. Yeah, you know what? You can be down on yourself. You can disappoint yourself. You can behave in ways that you know the Lord doesn't want for you. You can behave in ways that are going to... You can sow the wind and reap the whirlwind in your life. You can live with regret. But you know what? It doesn't change your last name. It doesn't change whose you are. When you trusted when you believed, your heart was sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Now he's leading you into the good works that he has for you. He's given you spirit eyes to see. He's revealed the mystery to you. He's revealed the riches of his glory, of his inheritance. you're here this morning and you need the Lord's help to put the lying enemy under your feet, if you need enlightenment, if you need to remember the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, the inheritance of his, if you, if you don't feel like much of an, an inheritance for him, you to get this word down in your heart because he loves you. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're somebody who needs the dynamite power of God to bust up the foundation of bad teaching, of lack of self-worth, whatever it is, you need that dynamite power to bust up that bad foundation. Raise your hand right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, God is good. If you need to surrender anything to him this morning, just raise your hand. Lift it up to God. Thank you. He loves you. You are his own. I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you for your word and the truth of your word, Lord Jesus, that you go out of your way to such an extent to show us that you love us and to remind us of who we are. Because we can't step into the destiny of who we're called to be without understanding who we are in you. Thank you for enlightening our hearts opening the eyes of our hearts. Lord Jesus, open the eyes of our hearts. Enlighten our minds to see ourselves as you see us, fully legally adopted heirs, seated at the right hand with Christ, in Christ, his inheritance, as well as the inheritance that he gives, has for us, Lord Jesus. 
set our identity firmly in you and let us never forget it, Lord Jesus, and remind us, quicken our spirits, Holy Spirit, as often as possible, that we could live with great efficiency, Lord, and effectiveness for your kingdom and do your work and to step into that calling, Lord, and to bring that that recessive life, Lord, back to those who are dead apart from you, Lord. Let them see that life in us and let them want it, Lord. In Jesus' name, if you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus or you've never truly prayed to him and just put your trust in the finished work of the cross, we want to take care of the salvation issue right now. Put your trust in him that he is who he says he is and that the cross was enough, the empty tomb was enough. Let's say this prayer, whether it's for the first time or the first time in a long time, let's say it out loud. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. Come into my heart and make me new. Let me see things as you see things. I believe the cross was enough. You paid my debt in full. You rose from the grave on the third day. And because you live, I live. Walk with me all the days of my life as I walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he go before you, follow after you, walk alongside you. May you prosper in all you do. Go in grace in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Happy Mother's Day. We love you guys.